Jesus. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Yeah. Just want to remind you that if you come to church next Sunday, ain't nobody going to be here. If you come to church next Sunday, ain't nobody going to be here. And you're going to be confused. We're going to be at the retreat. Amen. Uh, I'm going to look at Psalm 34 this morning. Psalm 34. There's three verses in Psalm 34 that we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on verses 3, 8, and 9. Well, really, just 3 and 8, actually. But before we get there, uh, don't put it up yet. We're, we're just going to put it up. Start from verse 1, actually. Start from verse 1. The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. So first, he's telling you his experience. He's describing his spirituality to you. And then verse 3 starts with the word, Oh, oh magnify the Lord with me. Now, the word, oh, the function of the word, oh, in this verse, also in verses 8 and 9 in this chapter, the word, oh, is not just an exclamation, but an invitation to participation. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, this is my spirituality, this is what I do, this is what I practice, but then he gets to verse 3 and says, now it's your turn. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, when you look at verse 3, you say, okay, how can I magnify the Lord with you, psalmist? He says, well, you got to read verses 1 and 2. I will bless the Lord at all times. You want to magnify the Lord? you got to bless him at all times. His praises have to continually be in your mouth. Then your soul has to make her boast in the Lord, and then the humble will hear of it and be glad. He's, now it's your turn. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Then verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5, they looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Verse 6, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Now verse 8, oh, taste and see. Oh, taste and see. Now, if you go back to verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord. So if you want to know, how do I taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, you got to go back to verse 4. I sought the Lord. If you want to taste and see, you got to seek the Lord. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me out of all my fears. That's his personal testimony. Now, verse 5. They looked to him and were radiant. Who is they? Everybody in the Old Testament. From chapter 33 of Psalms all the way back to Genesis 1, that's they. They looked to him and were radiant. Abraham looked to him and was radiant. Moses looked to him and was radiant. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt looked to him and they were radiant in their faces. So he went from personal testimony to salvation history. He went from testimony to history. This is my experience, but it's not just my experience. It's everybody's experience who ever sought the Lord. They looked to him and were radiant. So first you got to seek him, then you got to look to him. Yeah. you got to look to him and be radiant. And then verse 6, he goes back to personal testimony. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Then you got to cry. you got to seek him, you got to look to him, and then you got to cry out to him. Yeah. And then verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all about those who 
fear him. Now he goes from personal testimony to history, back to personal testimony to theology. The angel of the Lord encamps all about those who fear him. This is a theological principle. And he delivers them. So you got to fear him. You got to seek him. You got to look to him. You got to cry out to him. And you got to fear him. You got to seek him. You got to look to him. You got to cry out to him. And you got to fear him. And if you seek him, look to him, cry out to him, and fear him, you will taste and see that he is good. One of the greatest problems in contemporary Christianity, and I know I say that a lot, is that we've forgotten how to taste, how to taste the Lord's presence. We, We remember how to fight, but we forgot how to taste. We remember how to war, but we've forgotten how to taste. We remember how to serve, but we've forgotten how to taste. We remember how to fellowship, but we've forgotten how to taste. We remember how to study, but we've forgotten how to taste. We remember how to meditate, but we've forgotten how to taste. And what we don't realize is that without tasting and seeing that the Lord, he is good, everything else that we do leads to burnout. Without tasting and seeing that the Lord, he is good, everything else we do is just religion. And it wears you out. And it's a yoke that is not easy. And it's a burden that is not light. You find yourself becoming weary in well-doing. It's because in your well-doing, you are not tasting and seeing. If you would simply take the time to taste and to see, you would not become weary in your well-doing. You would actually become refreshed in your well-doing. And so what happens is we get so used to warfare that we don't stop and taste the honey of the presence and spirit and power and word of God in the midst of the warfare, you can't last very long in your warfare. You end up burning out and giving up and turning back and retreating before the enemy when the enemy should retreat before you. Now, I want to define warfare for you because whenever warfare is whenever you're trying to accomplish anything and you're experiencing opposition. You know what I'm talking about? Whenever you're trying to, whenever you're trying to do anything and you experience resistance, you're in warfare. You say, I'm going to sit down at my desk and write a poem. And it feels like there's all kind of opposition, all kind of resistance in your mind and heart. And you've got to fight through. I'm going to sit down and write a song. I'm going to get this task done at my job. You face resistance. Whenever you're trying to accomplish anything, I'm going to talk through this issue with my spouse. And the both of you are encountering resistance. I'm going to teach my child how to act better in this way. And you encounter resistance. I'm going to get my schoolwork done. You encounter resistance. Everything in life, I'm trying to get this promotion at work. And you're encountering resistance. I'm trying to take my company to the next level. You're encountering resistance. Virtually everything that you do is warfare. Because how many know? I mean, is there anybody in here who said, man, when I try to do something, there's no resistance? It just happens. Want to talk through something with my wife? It's just the smoothest conversation. We just perfectly understand one another. I went to start a new company and it just started. Like everything just came together. (laughs) Right? Your, Your life is full of resistance. 
Everything you do, you want to lose weight, there's resistance. You want to gain weight, there's resistance. You want to get healthier, there's resistance. You want a better marriage, there's resistance. You are constantly at warfare, and in order to survive the constant warfare, you must constantly be tasting and seeing that the Lord, He is good. Because discouragement comes from the failure to stop, to taste, and to see that the Lord, He is good. Now, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14, there's this situation that happens where there's the standoff in this area called the Geba Michmash Pass. So Geba was one side, that's where Israel was. Michmash was the other side, that's where the Philistines were. And then there was this pass or this valley down in between, and there's this big sharp rock. When I was in Israel in 1995, we actually visited the Geba Michmash Pass, and he took us down into the valley. We didn't know where we were, and the tour guide said, I want you to imagine King Saul in Israel was up there on that side of the hill, and the Philistines were up there on that side of the hill, and something happens. There's this standoff that seems like it's, it's interminable. Every, the other side, see, this is the thing. Nobody wants to attack first at this pass. It was an impasse. Why? Because whoever attacks first has to go down the valley and up the hill, and you're fighting an uphill battle. Nobody, so if you attack, you give the enemy the upper hand. So nobody wanted to attack. Everybody was waiting. You take the first swing. No, you take the first swing. No, you want to fight? You come at me. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. And it's this impasse where it seems like it's going to be interminable, where we're going to be here forever. You ever had an impasse in your life where you felt like, I'll never be able to fix this. This is beyond fixing. This is beyond solving. Whenever we come to a point in life when we're at an impasse where it just feels like nothing's going to move, it takes a move of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God moved on this guy named Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, the prince of Israel. And he grabs his armor bearer and he goes, man, I just feel like going over there and like starting a fight. I just feel like doing it. What do you feel like doing? And his armor bearer's like, I'm your armor bearer. Whatever you do, I'm down. Because, but, you know, we'd have to fight the whole army by ourselves if we went over there. He goes, like I said, I'm your armor bearer. If you feel like doing it, let's go. I mean, he's, he, just the spirit of crazy came on him. And notice what Jonathan did not do. He didn't go around talking to everybody. Hey, man, I'm thinking about going over there and fighting the Philistines. What do you think? Hey, man, I don't care how big them Philistines are. I'm about to go over there. He didn't, spend, he didn't waste any time talking about it. You see, sometimes there just needs to be one crazy person who just quietly will move out of the status quo yeah, yeah, yeah. and attack the enemy on his own territory without any pomp and circumstance, without blasting trumpets, without announcing it to the world. Some of you got ideas and you talk too much about it and you tell too many people. And what happens when you tell too many people is now you're getting feedback from too many people and the feedback that you're receiving about the idea that the Lord gave you is actually stopping you in your tracks. Now the opposition is the limitation in the minds of individuals whom the Lord did not speak to. So of course they don't see it. You got to learn how to be quiet and just step out, 
silently, quietly, when no one's watching, just me and my armor bearer. And they get down to the bottom of the pass and they look up the hill and, the, the, and they see the Philistines and they're like, Jonathan's like, we need a sign from God. Jonathan says, here's the sign. We're going to whistle for them and say hi. If they say to us, wait there, we're coming down to you, then God is not with us. We're going to run back up the hill. But if they say, come on up here and fight us, God is with us. We're going up the hill, which is the stupidest fleece to lay before the Lord. Because if they come down the hill to you, it, give, it, gives, you, it gives you a little bit more of an advantage because you're on flat ground. They're coming to fight you on flat ground. If they say, come up here to us, you have to fight an uphill battle. Jonathan is literally saying, if it's harder than we think, then God must be in it. Like, that's the sign that it's going to be hard. Which is the opposite of the way we think. Because anything hard, we say, God must not be in this because it wouldn't be this hard if, if God was in it. No, sometimes God is in the harder thing. Like staying in your marriage instead of leaving. Sometimes God is in the harder thing. Like forgiving and overlooking a grievance. Sometimes God is in the harder thing. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer, they whistle up the hill and the Philistines look at him and say, Hey, come on up here and we'll teach you a thing or two. And Jonathan goes, That's the sign. God is with us. Let's go. And they go up the hill and the Spirit of the Lord comes on them. And Jonathan goes up first. The armor bearer is behind him. The armor bearer is supposed to be in front. <laughs> Jonathan doesn't even wait for his armor bearer. That's how anointed he was. Sometimes the anointing comes on you and you run ahead of the chariots. Sometimes the anointing of the Spirit of God comes on you in a particular area and you become almost invincible. Sometimes the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes so strong that you feel like if the devil himself appeared, I would rip him to shreds. And Jonathan runs up the hill and just starts just slicing, slicing. And as they fall, his armor bearer just spears them. And he's just following and killing him, following and killing, following and killing. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel, they hear a tumult on the other side. And they're like, what is going on over there? And they look, somebody grabs the binoculars and they're like, that's Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they just killed about 38, 39 people. They're like, let's go get in this. And all of the sudden, the impasse is broken and the people of Israel rush into the fight, but not before King Saul says something ridiculous. He says, if anybody eats any food before the sun goes down tonight, he's accursed, meaning we're going to kill him. If anybody eats any food before this battle is over, he's accursed. We're going to kill him. Translation, today you're going to fight, but you're not going to eat. You're going to fight, but you're not going to taste. Today is about the task. It's not about the experience. It's about what you're supposed to do for God. It's not about what you're supposed to receive from God. And whenever your life takes on that character, that it's about the task, not the taste. It's about what I'm supposed to do for God, not about what I'm supposed to receive from God. You are setting yourself up for burnout. Jonathan was already over there, so he didn't hear what his daddy said. 
He was the only one who didn't hear what his daddy said. But in the middle of the battle, Jonathan was tired and hungry, and he looked over and saw a honeycomb. He said, thank you, Jesus. And he took his staff and stuck it into the honeycomb and pulled out honey, grabbed it with his hand, and put his hand to his mouth. And the scripture says, his countenance brightened. He was tired and worn out in the midst of a battle, but when he got that honey in his mouth, his countenance brightened. He got that glucose in his system, know what I'm saying? That glucose, man, here comes a new burst of energy, a new burst, and it was sweet to us. So it did two things. One, there was a sweetness to his taste. It was delight. But then number two, there was glucose in his system. There was strength. When I've got delight and I've got strength, I can continue in the battle for another day. But the rest of the army burnt out, pooped out. Before the battle was over, they couldn't complete the task. And they're looking at Jonathan and he's just like, "Mm, mm, mm, good Lord, that's some good honey. And they're like, Jonathan, dude, your dad said, and Saul shows up and said, is somebody eating? And he sees Jonathan over there. "Mm." Jonathan, did you eat? Yeah, I ate. Well, you got to die. If you eat, you die. Why I got to die? Because I said, if anybody eats, they die. And Jonathan goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Look at all of your men. Don't you realize that they could not complete the task because they didn't take the opportunity to taste? Don't you realize they can't complete the task unless they taste? And the men of Israel had to stand between Saul and Jonathan that day and say, ain't no way you're killing Jonathan. They disobeyed the king. The army surrounded him and said, Jonathan will not die today. We don't care what you said, king. The victory is because of him. He's the one who won the victory. But he won it not by starving himself, but by taking the time to taste. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Do you realize that you're not supposed to fight without tasting? That God didn't put you here to war your whole life away? To become weary and well-doing? But you got to taste. You got to taste. You got to taste. Stop to taste. Now, going back to Psalm 34, how do you taste and see that the Lord is good? We already identified the four ways. You got to seek the Lord. You got to look to the Lord. You got to cry out to the Lord. And you got to fear the Lord. You got to seek the Lord. Not the answer to your problem. Because here's how most of us seek the Lord. Lord, I need finances. Give me money. We're out of money. That's not seeking the Lord. That's seeking money from the Lord. Lord, touch my wife. She's crazy. She's out of her mind. She's off the hook. That's not seeking the Lord. That's seeking breakthrough in your marriage. Lord, give me wisdom to overcome this problem in my business. That's not seeking the Lord. That's seeking breakthrough in your business. Seeking the Lord. He says, I sought the Lord. 
Seeking the Lord is, Lord, I'm seeking you. I just want you. I need you. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Seeking his face rather than just seeking his hands. There's a difference between when my daughter seeks something from me and seeks me. When she seeks something from me, it's, Daddy, can I have? Daddy, can I do? Daddy, can I go? Daddy, can I get? But sometimes she'll come to me and say, Daddy, can we watch TV together? She's seeking me. She wants time with me. She could watch TV by herself, but she says, she's not saying, she's not saying, Daddy, can I watch? She's saying, Daddy, can we watch? I need time with you. That's what she's saying. Daddy, can we? Daddy, can we? I'm seeking you, not just something from you. Lord, I need you. We don't know how to seek the Lord, most of us. We only know how to, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul. Most of us, the only prayers we pray is now I lay me down to sleep and Lord bless this food, make it a, miraculously make it a nourishment to my body. Both prayers that the Lord does not even hear because they're nonsense. How about I need you, oh, I need you every hour. I need you. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to you. I need you. I need you. That, let that be the meditation of your heart. Lord, I need you. Let that be the meditation of your heart every day. Apart from you, I can do nothing. What is that? Is somebody up, up here that I don't see preaching a different? <laughs> I need you. I sought the Lord. And then he says, they looked to him. They looked to him. What does it mean to look to the Lord? You know, perception is a funny thing, isn't it? I've been journaling a lot about this and talking to the Lord a lot about it because in 2019, you guys remember I lost all that weight? How many remember that? A few of you remember that. I lost 58 pounds in 2019. Don't clap because I gained it all back. <laughs> Correction, I gained 48 of it back. I lost 58, I gained back 48. I'm still down 10. <laughs> Praise the Lord for 10. But I've been journaling about this because here's the sad thing. My goal was 180 pounds. At one point, I got down to 183, and I still felt like a failure. I felt like I didn't have it. And when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see the progress. It just felt incomplete. I set a goal, and I didn't reach my goal. And I was, I felt like a failure. And because I was so discouraged about my inability to complete the task, at a certain point I gave up. The kind of thinking that transpires in my mind, and this is my life trap, no matter what I do, it's not enough. That's the lie that the, the enemy's been speaking that to me since I was a little boy. No matter what you do, it's not enough. And so at a certain point, I gave up. I don't even remember the moment. I don't, it wasn't like, a, you know what, I think I'm going to give up. It was looking back 30 pounds later going, yeah, I gave up. 
I don't know when it happened, but obviously I gave up. And um, so I started this process again this week. Thankfully, over the last few weeks, my strength has been returning. I've been going to the gym and working out, and I've actually been getting better. Like this week, this last week, I had the best workouts I've had since I went to the hospital back in June. So I'm thankful that I feel my strength returning and my stamina returning. So that's good. And so I was praying, Lord, all I need to do is get my eating under control. And so the last few days of the week, I started to get my eating under control, and I was eating really good. But it looked like... The better I ate, the, the more bloated I was. Like, it looked like I gained more weight. And my wife was even like, what you been eating? You've been eating chitlins and, and hot dogs. Like, what have you been doing? I was like, no, for, for real, baby, I'm on keto. You don't look like you're on keto. And it's not her fault, but I had already been feeling discouraged looking in the mirror and not seeing the result of my labor, I started to feel discouraged. And I started to feel that, that lie again, no matter how hard I try, it's not enough. I'm going to fail. And the Lord spoke a word to my heart that he has been speaking to me for the last 15 plus years. Don't be moved by what you see. Stop looking to the mirror. Look to me. Looking to the Lord is the refusal to form your opinion and your perspective around what you see when you look out at your life. Because this is what we all do. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. You open up your finances. Yep, it's bad. And you look at your marriage. Yep, it's bad. And you look at your kids. Yep, it's bad. And you look at your job. We're constantly looking at our lives, forming conclusions and perspectives and opinions about the state of our lives on our own. Not realizing that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Well, when you are looking at your life and forming conclusions about whether it's good or bad, you're leaning on your own understanding. Instead of saying, you know what, this looks bad, but I don't trust what I see. I don't trust my perspective. I don't trust my conclusions. I don't trust. Why? Because I can't. that's my own understanding. My understanding says it's bad. I don't lean on my understanding. Now I got to look to the Lord. Lord, I look to you. Lord, you tell me. Pastor Dyrell was talking about this morning how the Apostle Paul had this thorn in his flesh and he thought it was so bad and he cried out to the Lord three times. And when it says he cried out to the Lord three times, he prayed to the Lord three times. For us, that would have been done in like 30 seconds, 10 seconds each time I, I prayed to the Lord. Lord, please take this away. No? Lord, please take this away. No? No. It probably means he fasted and prayed, locked himself away for a period of multiple days, begging the Lord to take this away. And he did that three times before the Lord spoke to him and said, you think this is bad, it's actually good. My grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's God speaking and saying, your conclusion is that this is bad. My perspective is this is good. You only get God's perspective when you look to him and you make the decision, I'm not depending on what I see. I mean, imagine Joseph, had he leaned on his own understanding, his his life is horrible. It's the worst life ever. 
But then you look back and said, what you all meant for evil, he says to his brothers, God meant for good. Meaning, when I look to the Lord, I see that through this entire history, God was leading me towards his intended good. So you got to seek the Lord, and then you got to look to the Lord. And then he says, this poor man cried. Why are you calling me? You know I'm preaching, bro. Come on, man. This poor man cried. You got to cry. You got to cry to the Lord. Yeah. We talked about this last Sunday. Yeah. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his distresses. This poor man cried. Crying out to the Lord means that whenever you experience the cares and sorrows of this life, the anxieties, of this life, the person you're supposed to cry to about them is the Lord. We tend to cry to everybody but the Lord. I need a support group. Why? So I have some people to cry to. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to cry to other people. We need each other too. You hear what I'm saying? But the first person that you cry to about your cares and sorrows should be the Lord. You got to seek him. Got to look to him. Got to cry out to him. And then finally, you got to fear him. And I'm going to end this quick because I'm going over time here. The fear of the Lord is not what you think. It's not being afraid of the Lord. Adam and Eve experienced a particular kind of fear of the Lord in the garden, and it caused them to run from the Lord and hide behind the bush and try to clothe themselves. That's not the fear of the Lord. The true fear of the Lord causes you to run to the Lord instead of running from the Lord. You see, the fear of God's wrath says, I better get away from him before he punishes me, or I better not come to him because he's going to take some stuff from me. That's that's demonic fear. The true fear of the Lord says, I'm afraid of not being in his presence, so I better run closer. I'm afraid of being apart from him. I'm not afraid of being with him. I'm afraid of being separated from him. I'm afraid of not being close. I'm afraid that that there might be something that comes between us. So I'm watching my life and I'm being circumspect about my ways because I don't want anything to hinder the sweetness of our fellowship. Fearing the Lord means being afraid of being apart from him. Without you, I can do nothing. A child, a baby who wakes up and mommy and daddy's not in the room and they cry. It's the, the, the child, the baby's crying, literally saying, I can't live if mommy and daddy are not in the room with me at all times. The cry is come closer, not go far away. The angel of the Lord encamps all about those who fear him. And those who fear him are afraid of being apart from him. The angel of the Lord encamps all about those who are afraid of being apart from him. Who wake up in the morning saying, Lord, I can't live this day without your presence. And I'm so afraid that I'm going to live by my own power. Won't you come? Won't you come? You see, we've we've completely neglected the the fear of the Lord. Not realizing that the fear of the Lord is the key to his treasure. And if you seek him, and if you look to him... And if you cry out to him, and if you fear to him, you find yourself tasting, tasting 
tasting. I'm talking about if you build a lifestyle around those four things, you find yourself tasting at unexpected moments. All of a sudden, I was sitting on my deck yesterday morning, and I was watching the, uh, not the sunrise, but the morning. The sun had already risen. I'm drinking my coffee, and I see the sun peeking above the horizon. And that verse in the Psalms came to me. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom emerging from his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his race. It, it, its course is from one end of the heavens to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. And I started crying. I felt the presence of God. What's the significance of that? I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't an academic moment. I experienced the presence of God and tasted. You see how good the Lord is? He's so good in the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom emerging from his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. And nothing is deprived of its heat. That's how good my God is. And I just sat there, I just, I wept tears of joy because I felt the presence of God. You can't fabricate that moment. You can't make it happen in your time. That tasting and seeing, it's on the Lord's timetable. But you know what I can do? I can seek him. You know what I can do? I can look to him. You know what I can do? I can cry out to him. And you know what I can do? I can fear him. And if that's my lifestyle, I'm going to taste. I'm going to taste in moments that I don't expect. I'm going to taste in moments that I don't expect. And I'll be standing on the street somewhere, and all of a sudden the heavens open over me, and I hear the voice of the Lord saying, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. And I'm rejoicing, and I'm weeping in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because I'm tasting. I'm tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Listen to me. You've been at warfare for so long. You've been fighting and fighting and fighting, and you've been resisted so strongly. And some of you feel that the resistance against you is greater than the support. But God wants you to know that the support is greater than the resistance. That his support for you is greater than his resistance, but you've been living outside of that support because you have not sought him. You have not looked to him. You haven't cried out to him. And you don't fear him. If you've been living outside of the presence of God and you're okay with that, you don't fear him. If you haven't experienced the presence of God and you're okay with that, you don't fear him. It means that you're okay with living by your own power. If you haven't felt the, the presence of God come and lift you up in, in your time of discouragement and encourage you and you're okay with that, it means that you're just okay with living by your own power. I want you to be not okay with that. I want you to be not okay with that. When was the last time I've experienced the presence of the Lord? When was the last time I felt the power of God? When was the last time I felt encouraged by the presence of the Lord? When was the last time I was reading the Bible and I felt the encouragement of the Holy Spirit come through Scripture? When was the last time I was talking with a brother or sister and something that was said sparked something in my soul and I felt, I felt strengthened by God? When was the last time? Yeah. 
I heard God tell me that it's not what I think it is, that things aren't as they seem, that the way it looks to me is not the reality. When was the last time? When was the last time I cast all my cares and sorrows on him and cried in his presence? When was the last time? If it's been too long and you're okay with that, you need a revival of the fear of the Lord. Not a fear of his wrath, but a fear of being separated from his grace. Not a fear of his punishment, but a fear of living without his power. I can't live a day without his power. I can't live a day without his spirit. I can't live a day without the wisdom that comes from God. I can't live a day, and I'm afraid that I'm going to live by my own power tomorrow, so I'm going to seek him tonight. I'm going to look to him tonight. I'm afraid that I'm going to come to a conclusion without his spirit, so I'm going to look to him tonight so that I can get his perspective tomorrow. I'm afraid that I'm going to try to carry all of my own griefs and sorrows, and they're too heavy for me. My friend, your, your cares and sorrows are too heavy for you, but they're not too heavy for him. Yeah. Learn how to give them to him on a daily basis and receive the comfort that only comes from him. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit would just rest upon your sons and daughters. And I pray just for an awakening of the fear of the Lord. Lord, so many of us have misunderstood the fear of the Lord for so long. We've understood it as fear of your punishment, fear of your wrath. Lord, that kind of fear drives us from your presence instead of driving us to your presence. The fear of the Lord drives us to you, Lord, not away from you. Lord, deliver us from Adam's fear, from Eve's fear. When they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's shame. Shame and the fear of the Lord are two different things. The fear of the Lord says, I better run to him quick. Let me run to him quick. Father, I pray that you would put it within our hearts to run to you quick, quickly, 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 quickly. Let me run to you quick and look to you and seek you and cry out to you and fear you. Let me never be apart. The psalmist, he illustrates, he articulates the fear of the Lord when he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Do you hear the tone of his voice? Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence. I'm so afraid of, of being outside of your presence, Lord. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and we renew a right spirit within me. It's not just about cleansing from sin. It's about closeness. Not just cleansing, but closeness. God wants more than cleansing, and most of us would be fine if God would just cleanse me. But God says, no, 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 no. I want closeness even more than cleansing. And there's some in this room right now, you've been waiting for cleansing to pursue closeness. 
You say, if I could just get cleansed of this, then I could be close to God. God says, no, 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 no. If you could get close to me, you'll get cleansed from that. Some of you have even thought, if I could get cleansed of this, then God could give me the Holy Spirit. God says, no, if I give you the Holy Spirit, you'll be cleansed of that. You need to put it in the proper order. You seek his presence. You cannot cleanse yourself of your sins. You cannot make yourself holy. Only the Holy Spirit can make you holy. And if you're thinking you don't have the Holy Spirit because you're not holy enough, you got the order wrong. You get the Holy Spirit and you become holy when you get the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can make you holy. So Father, I just speak your blessing over this gathering in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you awaken in every heart and in every soul a hunger and thirst that drives us to our knees that we might taste and see. Oh, taste and see. Oh, taste and see. That that exhortation would settle in upon our souls this morning. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, He is good. He is good. He is good. Father, I speak your blessing, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the interpreter of every word spoken today. I give you praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning. This altar is going to be open for anyone who wants special prayer. Lift your hands to the Lord. May the God of peace, who through the eternal spirit brought back forth from the grave our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you for every good work. May he satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. May he surround you and go before you and behind you until we meet again. Amen. Have a wonderful week. See you at the retreat.